Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with a guy who has lots of experience dealing with uh, what he refers to as toxic religious experiences. My friend, an Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Hey, Irish. I love how you associate my name with toxicity. So, <laughs> well, some you. people would say that you're rather toxic. I'd like to say prickly. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually better. That's a little more complimentary, isn't it? A little more positive. Well, so anyway, one of our listeners uh, named Kath, she lives in Arizona, shared with us a story of her struggles trying to develop a meaningful relationship with God. She's grappling with what she describes as a distorted vision of Christ. And and seemingly, it's based on her experiences with religion and sadly, specifically with the Catholic Church. And I kind of suspect there are other people who share her experience or similar experiences, whether it's with the Catholic Church or other religions. And I'm thinking, hoping that they might be able to benefit from your perspective and and, and advice for Kath on, on dealing with, you know, what you have referred to with me as toxic religious experiences. And I think to kind of give listeners a feel, I had a conversation with Kath. Let me play you a little segment of that conversation to kind of set this up. Great. I was raised with fear. I was raised with, you're going to memorize these verses. You're going to memorize these prayers and you're going to do these things. And, uh, and if you break rules, you're bad. You're going to go to confession. And it was really very, very fear-based. Mm. And, um, and, and it, it was not good. Obviously, it was not good. Uh, it's just that's how we were raised and uh, and I questioned it uh, obviously I've questioned it but I but it seemed like it had a, a hold for many 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 years my mother was you know uh, diehard Catholic but she had her own rules and my father was a, a wonderful wonderful kind man and he was what we called the doubting Thomas and he'd always, he'd always say, well, I'm going where your mother's going. So, you know, when I die, that's where I'm going. You know, well, I think deeper than that. You know, uh, I, I don't want just, uh, I don't want to just con- re- repetitively re- repeat uh, prayers. I, w- I want to, uh, I want a, uh, an open, you know, how to open up a dialogue of prayer and how to pray and how to allow God in my life. And uh, I want those things, but I don't know how because I, I don't necessarily feel, uh, you know, you feel very unworthy when you're raised with a, a religion that's very uh, stern. I think her issue is what an issue a lot of people have. And the problem with toxic religion is that it has two tactics. Either it tries to control you or it condemns you. And Catholic experience of toxic religion reminds me of the movie, and I can barely remember it, but there's this movie called How Green Was My Valley? And in one scene, this minister tells his flock that love, not fear, should motivate your presence at the Sunday Mass. And he has this great line, he says, why did you come here? I know why you've come here. I've seen it in your faces on Sunday after Sunday. 
Fear has brought you here. Fear of the divine, fire from the skies, the vengeance of the Lord. But you have forgotten the love of Jesus. Death, fear, flames, horror. If you do this in the name of God and in the house of God, you blaspheme against God and his word. Uh, And so there's a saying that I really like, that those who worship from fear or worship power will also worship the devil if he appeared. And I just think that's a great, great line. Now, I know there is this thing called fear of the Lord, but fear of the Lord is not terror of the Lord. It's more awe. We're talking about talks of religion that promote sternness and fear of the Lord. So first, I have to applaud Calf, who doesn't want to worship out of fear of an angry God. And God bless her. And I am serious. I think she can hear the Holy Spirit saying that that is problematic worship. So I, I think she's incredibly wise that way. So she rejects her mother's type of motivation for worship. And yet she doesn't re- reject religion. She doesn't reject all religion. But I'm glad she's a little bit like her father and questions things. So she also rejects her brother-in-law's theology of God is this angry God and I'm superior to you. He's able to misquote scripture, but she hears the Holy Spirit that his theology is ugly. So that brings me to this concept called deconstruction. She needs to deconstruct toxic theology. But secondly, and I'll get in this in a second, she also has to deconstruct some of her own toxic theology. It's in there as well. So uh, let's just begin with defining what is deconstruction? What is this thing? And actually started in literature. And deconstruction, the definition is that a piece of literature or philosophy doesn't have to just have one meaning. It can be reinterpreted in order to reveal a better meaning. So in 1970, this philosopher used deconstruction to question a system such as religion from the inside. So you can deconstruct politics or literature, but also religion from the inside. Now, being outside of religion is not deconstruction. That's just arson. So somebody from outside of religion or outside of the United States or outside of religion, they're not deconstructing religion. They're just trying to set it on fire. You can't deconstruct religion unless you're a part of it. So that's kind of deconstruction. It is not going to war against religion. It's not, you know, slip the dogs of war and let's just discredit religion. Uh, That's not deconstruction. Deconstruction is actually trying to purify your religion. Deconstruction happens from the inside of religion and leads to a more authentic religion. That's what this woman is looking to do. Uh, She shouldn't feel guilty about it. That's what every major character in the Bible does. That's what Job does. That's the whole story of Job. That's what Jonah does. That's exactly what Christ did and continues to do today in us, is deconstruct religion. That's what the Virgin Mary did. That's what St. Joseph did. That's what St. Paul did. They all deconstruct religion. And it's what millions of holy people have done century after century. It's not wrestling with God. 
but it is wrestling with religion so that one can have a pure religious experience. That's the story of St. Paul. So everyone has to examine parts of your religious upbringing that you need to re-examine and question and doubt and sometimes throw away those parts. Everybody should examine in what ways was your religious upbringing more of a reflection of your culture, maybe more a reflection of the dysfunction of your parents. It doesn't mean they didn't have a sincere desire for God, but that reflection leads to a pure religion. It is looking at this beautiful disaster that's in all of our lives and religious experiences. So deconstruction is building something better. It's not throwing away all the dogmas, but how you are taught religion. So it's not throwing away dogmas or religion. Uh, It's actually waking up from a life of confirmation bias. And in one of uh, his books, Richard, uh, Richard Rohr, it's called Falling Upwards. He says, you can't just start reconstruction because you have to start with a structure. You know, in your life, your parents would have had to give you some sort of structure to build a notion of God on. It's only after you have a structure that you can start to reconstruction. So ultimately, deconstruction is part of the death and resurrection of Christ in your own religious maturity. That's what she's doing, and she needs to be applauded. So the dangers of deconstruction, because you hear now, it's the big word. Everybody says, I'm deconstructing you know, X, Y, and Z. They're not. They're just throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Kath is not doing that. She's truly trying to deconstruct, and she feels slightly guilty about it. But she shouldn't. That's the right thing to do. For some people, not her, uh, when they use the word deconstruction, it's just a way of taking a big dump on reverence and religion. Deconstruction is about polishing up the gems of religion and getting rid of the mud in order to let it shine. So it's, it's the beginning of a better faith, not the end of faith. And questioning does not end faith. Sometimes it polishes it up. So I want to mention two things, break it in half, of kind of Kath's particular deconstruction. She needs to deconstruct some of the religion as how it was presented to her but she also needs to deconstruct herself as well. And what I mean, her deconstruction is, first of all, as she says, the stern religion. She needs to deconstruct kind of the religious manipulation that she grew up with. Now, Jesus did say that you'll be hated by the world, but sometimes hate is just a form of manipulation, and it's trying to control people through fear of rejection. So if one bows down to God in fear of just power, then how do you know you won't bow down to Satan? Because Satan might display some power. So when Jesus says there's three types of hate, you know, the body, which is just superficial religion, the world and Satan, you have to conquer all three to be set free. And the belief that God rewards the good and punishes the bad that's just a form of religious manipulation. That's, that's evil. Christ does not manipulate. Christ invites people to love. So for Kath, 
I would say that you can show your loyalty to religion sometimes not by how you practice, but also what you reject. Like she wants to reject just worshiping God out of fear of power. Uh, Good for her. And she needs to deconstruct harsh religion. But here's this odd part. They did this really strange study that I'll try and capsulize. That some people, they grow up from time to time in periods of harsh religious environments. But they made this interesting connection that where harsh religion is promoted, also the culture tends to have a rather harsh environment as well. So a harsh environment also leads to kind of a harsher notion of God and religion. And in tough times, when law and life is uncertain, there can be this motivation that religion has this become stern. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing, surprisingly. If you grew up in an area where you can't trust the law, you need a people that you can trust that they'll back their word they will morally stand with you and what i like in this interview i did hear that kath was from butte montana which i'm not from butte but my family is so i understand that mentality (laughs) and in fact not only do i understand it part of me reverences it what is that mentality for those oh it is harsh it is it is harsh (laughs) everything Uh, is harsh there huh here, here is a perfect story, and I love Butte people. When my sister got married, we had the, this party after the rehearsal, and the whole family's there. We were at this party, and I was driving my great aunt and my grandmother, my nana, home, and they're talking about what a lovely time. And at one point, my great aunt says to my na- nana, "And there wasn't even a fight." <laughs> uh, <laughs> But here's the other part. In Butte, Montana, like my dad would say this, it, Butte, Montana, people are harsh with each other, but they also defend each other. The one way you're going to make it in a Butte is a huge mining town. And life was hard. I mean, I told stories before of the shirts freezing on my grandfather, my dad, my uncle, as they walked home from the mines. Life was hard. And so you needed a community that, people pulled together. So my dad would say this, you know, Butte people might be harsh against each other sometimes, but in a fight, if you say you're from Butte, they will back you. So there's this harshness, but it comes from kind of this abusive mining town. Remember in that time period, the sign was the Irish need not apply. You know, there's poverty and abuse. And so, yeah, in places like that, Religion tends to be a little harsher so that people will behave so everybody can make it through the difficulties. So I thought that was really interesting. So religion, that harsh religion also pushes. You will be loyal to the church, to God, and each other. So as I said, Buchans may fight among themselves, but they will come to each other's aid if an outsider tries to take advantage of a fellow Buchan. So, so abution is uh, uh, somebody from Butte, Butte Montana, right. referred to as abution. Okay, I wondered, I wondered what that was. Okay. Sorry, but here's the odd part. I am thankful. I am grateful that my grandparents and relatives had this toughness that religion promoted. It got them through a hard life. Now that doesn't mean 
that I need that harsh medicine in my life. You know, you take a medicine, you keep taking medicine when you're healthy and it's bad for you. But that medicine was good for them. So like, I would suggest, Kathy, this sounds kind of strange. Yeah, I'm glad she sees that it's dysfunctional in her life right now. But she can still be grateful that it got them through. It's the Marie Kondo effect, which I've never seen that show, but it's some woman who shows you how to declutter where you think, <laughs> I know my staff has told me, that, you thank the thing for giving you joy or whatever, and then you say goodbye to it. She needs to Marie Kondo this harsh religion. Thank it and move on. You Kathy know, can be thankful that she... It worked for her mother, but it's not working for her. Be grateful and let it go. But I, I think a gr- really good example, uh, really, of what you're saying here is that the way it was presented to her kind of gave her, I mean, she rejected that. But interestingly, what she comes away with, what 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 God is, what God represents, I asked her in a conversation with her where she was sharing her story, I said, so what, what do you want God to be, uh, you know, and, and in, in your relationship and just understanding God? Because she said she had this distorted picture of God. And I think it would be good here because I think it would demonstrate exactly what you're saying, that, you know, she got a lot of good out of this. And all she has to do is kind of deconstruct declutter, get rid of like the presentation and stuff. But listen to what she has to say about her vision of what she wants God to be. Oh, yeah. Let's listen. I have a vision of what I want him to be. I want him to be loving, forgiving, accepting. Um, I want him to be all of those things. But you've lived a, a life of not really experiencing those things. It's hard to imagine when a, when a parent doesn't love and accept you. Well, it's kind of hard for you to have a vision of what Christ would be like. It really is. Um, if you had a, if you had any trauma in your life, you know, it's hard to understand uh, a loving, forgiving God uh, or accepting God. It, it's very hard to do. There's many people in the world that suffer from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, uh, different kinds of issues that I'm sure that they struggle trying to understand acceptance and forgiveness. And some of it's very much, it has nothing to do with God. It has to do with yourself. Okay. I, I like, I like the fact that she says that many people in the world suffer from that post-traumatic distress disorder. You know, it got her family through the harsh times, but now, I know this sounds strange. They have found that life, that harshness can either lead to PTSD or PTSG, post-traumatic growth. So I'm glad she can name that problem, but now it's time to twist it into growth. You know, yeah, yeah, she knows what it's like. And I can even hear, I, I remember in one part of her interview, she was pushing her own family to be loyal to God, that you need to, like... She grew up with that sense of loyalty. Now, she does not need to be loyal to the harsh image of God or religion. So let it go. But she has also this gift that that gave her in a sense of 
kind of this toughness and kind of this toughness, I guess. And here's the odd part. Like she also spoke about Samoa and I went to school with the Samoans and they are lovely people. They really are great athlete, aggressive athletes. So that's the really odd part. And let's, I think let's real quick, let's play her experience oh, okay. real quick here at her Samoa experience. Yeah. Cause uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, let's play that. And then, so the, the, the listeners can understand what you're talking about when you refer to her Samoa experience. Okay. At one point in time in my life, we lived overseas uh, in the South Pacific. And it was the only time that I can remember where I felt uh, a presence of God in my life. Hmm. And I was in a foreign country with foreign language. Uh, but it was like I, I didn't need the language. I felt the language. I felt the, the he went to us. It was very spiritual. It was an American Samoa. And I remember when we moved from there, I remember going to, to Mass the last time and just sobbing because I definitely felt um, that I was, there was a part of me that was there, hmm. that, that it wasn't just, it wasn't just words or uh, I, I was finding myself enjoying the parts of the Mass and, and, and the, the music and, and everything that went with it. It just kind of like a light. It opened up airways in me that I can't explain. Then we moved from there. I lost that connection that I had in Samoa. You know, I haven't been able to regenerate it or reignite it in any way whatsoever. And then I just, I I don't, you know, it's got to be more than just going to mass and hearing the liturgy and receiving communion. And I even question what is communion? What, what does that mean to me personally? I want to make it personal. I don't, it isn't just a congregation of people receiving the body of Christ. That's me receiving that. What does that mean to me? Well, I don't know anymore. So I think it's telling that she felt closest to God in Samoa. And as I said, I went to school with Samoans, great people, aggressive athletes. But here's the odd part. They're not Bushans. They don't have that Bushan blood. You know, they're very athletic. But in the seminary, there was one mean nun. Like everybody talks about mean nuns. The nuns I met were always sweet and kind and like, I just loved them. But there was one particularly really mean one. And here's the odd part. The Samoans, despite their size and aggressiveness on the field, they were not good at standing up to the mean nun. Hmm. I always thought was really strange. And I had no problem. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you want to fight? I'll give you a fight. Uh, yeah, how, how uh, you for people who don't know, how tall are you, Father Land? I think six three. Oh, stop! How dare you? Okay, I'm five eight. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's a little guy, but he he is tough. This Bushin, what do you call it? Is it the Bushin? Yeah, the Bushin spirit and attitude is yeah. there. You, you want a fight? I'll give you a fight. Yeah, you don't shy away from fights. In fact, the, this nun, just to tell you a funny thing, she was picking on this elderly cistercian monk who was also very sweet and at that point i decided oh we're going to war um, <laughs> and anyhow i mean i tried not to disrespect her but she's not she's not getting away with this and once she called me into her office and i still remember this i just love this because she was so mad and her lips were just pursed together 
And she said, Leonard McMillan, you're the most insensitive person I have ever met. And so I just slapped my hand on the desk and I said, well, see, sister, that's a problem. Get out and meet more people. Um, <laughs> she did not find that funny. But like, I, I'm, you know, your anger is not going to intimidate me. But here's the really odd part. The Samoans, they were so kind. It did, like, they just did not know what to do with that. And the Samoans are great people. They would wait an hour or more for somebody who was running late for lunch. They'd be all waiting in the parking lot. I'm not waiting an hour. I've got a little bit of that Bushan blood. I'll wait 10 minutes. And if you haven't come, come, you know, showed up and you knew I was waiting there, we're going to have a little come to Jesus session. I'm going to teach you how to, <laughs> Irish, you're going to use a watch. How dare you keep me waiting? They're <laughs> incapable of that. The Samoans, they're really, like, they don't have any of that Bushan harshness. In fact, I remember this story that I was shocked by this one. They were telling stories, uh, and this was not in American Samoa, this is in Western Samoa, where they had this cardinal. And they found Americans strange because when the cardinal was going somewhere and he had a car, he would just pick up people along the way and the car would be packed with all these people. And they thought it was strange that, um, you know, that a bishop wouldn't stop and pick up somebody. They just, they don't have that Bushan harshness. But now, I think it's telling that she comes from a place where she felt most religious when it was free from the Bushan harshness of religion. No, that you will demand. And she clearly has a little of that Bushan intense, you will be loyal. But since she can't live in Samoa anymore, why not make Samoa live in you right now? deconstruct all the harsh religion, keep the good stuff, that intensity, that demand that I'm in it for a fight. You can take that stuff, Maria Conduit, deconstruct it, throw it away and reconstruct the Samoan religion. Not the Samoan religion, it's Catholic, but, you know, just based on kindness. Yeah, the sense, the feeling, it was everything she hoped religion could be. And all of a sudden there it was. She just experienced this harshness before, you know, in her upbringing, just the sense she got from the church. But she goes to Samoa where you, you you know, you're talking about, I've never been there, where these people are so nice, you can just feel it. Because she said, you know, that she couldn't speak the language or anything. But when she was at mass there, she just felt this sense of love and joy and forgiveness and everything she wants God to be and wants religion to be. She felt it there. Right. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. But right now, I just want to say, well, great. Then deconstruct the bad parts of the harsh religion and construct it with the Samoan hospitality. Good for you. That's not being disloyal to your mother or anybody else. That's being loyal to Christ. Christ always deconstructs. St. Paul, St. Joseph, they all have to deconstruct. Mary Mary herself, the Virgin Mary, obviously rejects harsh religion or she should have been stoned to death. Yeah, it, it has some benefits when you're living in Roman oppression. But you can deconstruct and reconstruct. So the third thing is also, she have you noticed she mentioned several times, you know, something about it's all about knowledge. Kathy said something about confirmation that she didn't know the theology. But here's the thing. Religion is not about knowledge. Religion is relationship. Uh, that's what she loved about Samoa. 
She had no knowledge. She couldn't even speak the language. So it's not about knowledge. It's not about language. It's about love. That's what she loved about going to mass there. But the sacraments confirmation are not rewards for knowledge. The sacraments are celebrations of a relationship with God and other people, the church. That's why we confirm and baptize Down syndrome children. Not because they have theologically adept, but because really they're part of the pure souls of our community. So the sacraments have their own graces, even if one doesn't have complete theological knowledge. So religion is not about knowledge. He has to stop saying that. It's such a Western civilization to say that religion is about knowledge or you knowing something. Kathy also needs to de- deconstruct that. And Joan of Arc, she was illiterate. She only knew three prayers. Yet she had this great relationship with Christ and the saints. And the saints are the ones who told her how to win the battle. So religion is relationship, not knowledge. It's interesting because, you know, she she is, she does feel guilty about what she thinks is her lack of knowledge. But yet she really kind of displays the heart of Christ, the way that right. she approaches life and the way that she thinks about things. I, I think you're right. She is really hung up on the knowledge. I mean, it probably wouldn't be bad. She said she's not really done much about reading the Bible or whatever. I don't think that'd be a bad thing. But on the other hand, that's not uh, any obstacle to, you know, having a relationship with God. No, and Joan of Arc, she couldn't read the Bible. And yet she had this incredible relationship. So if I was Kath, I'd be, you need to deconstruct that too. Now, here's the, here's the odd part. Now, unlike you, I'm going to sound judgmental and harsh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the nice guy on this podcast. You are the nice guy. I always have uh, to kind of soften you up. It is. Yeah, you're soft. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. So I also think Kath doesn't just have to deconstruct stern religion she has to deconstruct herself. And number one, it sounds from the interview, she suffers from a lot of shame. There's several times she apologizes for something that she doesn't need to apologize. And that made me wonder, how controlled is she by shame? The voice of shame does not allow you to hear the Holy Spirit speaking clearly. So Kath also needs to deconstruct her own feelings of shame. And she mentions PTSD and how she was raised. Well, there's this whole practice of self-compassion. And self-compassion is one of the best ways to heal PTSD and change it into PTSG. So I I don't have time in this podcast to talk about self-compassion, but Kath seems to be very compassionate to other people except for herself. Yes. And remember, Christ demands that we love God and other people and ourselves with all our heart, mind, and soul. And she needs to deconstruct some of her own shame. So she, I think she can reconstruct it with self-compassion. She said, you know, as I said, something about being able to fix her own PTSD But I would suggest fixing or reconstruction through the practice of self-compassion. Now, as I said, that's a whole different podcast. But I really think if she took up some practices of self-compassion, it would pave the way to better hear the voice of Christ in her own conscience and even deepen her prayer life, everything. 
So yeah, she needs to start a little deconstruction on herself as well and construction with self-compassion. And this is going to shock you, but like she talks about stern religion and what she wants out of God. And I don't mean to be harsh, but there's this irony that she also needs to deconstruct her own harshness to others. I thought Kath was a little harsh on those who worship in a way that's unappealing to her. Now, granted, those unappealing ways would be unappealing to me. But granted, that same people, as I said, would be unappealing to me. But she has kind of this harshness when speaking about them. And for someone like Kath who doesn't like judgmentalism... Uh, she seems to be a little judgmental herself. And that's the voice in her head that's criticizing her and other people. All I'm saying is that she might want to examine that she needs to not only deconstruct the harshness of her religious upbringing, but it's echo that's still part of her. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. You know, I I think that maybe we should, I think I know what you're referring to. Why don't we play that little portion of my conversation with Kath, where she describes her experiences trying to go back to mass after she was in Samoa? Okay. We've tried it twice. And um, both times I felt like I was going to the dark age. Uh, seriously I mean do you ever go to a in fact we did it one Easter we went to mass and uh, there was uh, no children no Easter dresses no Easter bonnets uh, and everybody was old communion took forever and it was just sad Hmm. because it was all old people there was no youth I want young people so we went to another church and it was so packed that you were just a, you felt like you were just a little uh, mouse sitting in a corner with, because it was just, it was packed with people. And uh, so there was nothing personal. There was nothing you didn't feel a part. You, it was very hard to figure out how to feel a part of it. And if you already have questions, you're already struggling. Uh, it's it just, so that's where we got. So when it comes to deconstruction, I also think it was telling that Kathy, when she said, I lost my, I lost the connection I had in Samoa, haven't reignited it. It's got to be more than just going to mass and hearing the liturgy and receiving communion. And she says, I even question what is communion? What does it mean to me personally? What makes it personal? It isn't a congregation of people receiving the body of Christ. That's me receiving. Well, here's the thing. This seems to be the crux of her dilemma. The tension between the personal, intimate engagement with faith versus the public congregational engagement with faith. And this, I think, ties into her love for all the time she spent in the Samoa church. She really goes off on how breathtaking the music and the dress of the people, but she she doesn't understand them because they don't speak the same language, literally. And she doesn't have to share their warts and afflictions and annoying vices. Vices, that was horrible. Sorry, vices. (laughs) But here, she has no preconception 
what the liturgy should be in that culture. She can't judge it as good and bad. So in this odd way, because she doesn't speak the language, she's actually more open to the liturgy. She's actually more open to other people. But, and I don't mean to be cruel, but I'm really good at loving people from a distance. (laughs) Um, It's when I get to know them that people drive me up a wall. And so she was kind of saved by that because she could love the Samoans, but And I guarantee this, even the Samoans have some very annoying vices, but she wasn't exposed to it. So all she had was love. And the churches that she's going to in this country annoy her, either because they're old and dry and, you know, Latin-y, or they're a a bullient, charismatic members. Now, that form of liturgy she can judge it because she can speak the language and see all their faults and vices. It just seems to me that she wants an intimate engagement with the body of Christ, the Eucharist, but she wasn't, but she doesn't want to get there through the body of Christ in the people of God of her own community. That's the dilemma. She certainly has this earnest desire for a communion with Christ. Totally but not really through the body of Christ, people, because she can see their faults and foibles. And in Samoa, she was partially blocked from seeing their faults because she couldn't speak the language, but she could feel their beauty. And I just found that there's beauty in the people of God, even with all their craziness right here. Like I I said this before, I wish everybody could go to somebody's funeral before they die and discover that despite their craziness, they're beautiful people. Somebody was talking about this priest I know who has a good friend, and he is prickly and kind of harsh in many ways. And this person was saying that they were shocked because once they got to know him, they realized he would move heaven and earth for anybody who was lost or hurting or in prison. And this guy was saying, I was kind of shocked because I just always thought he was a bit of a jerk, which not to be honest, even though he's a good friend, he kind of is a bit of a jerk. But I swear to God, more than me or other people, if somebody was sick or hurting or in trouble, nothing would stop him from that person. That's his beauty. Now, if all you saw rightly was his prickliness, then you think, oh, I just don't like him. But I wish everybody could go to a funeral and find out, yeah, yeah, Irish, you have some very annoying virtues. (laughs) But There's also a lot of beauty in people. So she wants a communion with Christ, but she, you know, the body of Christ, but she doesn't want to go through the body of Christ because there's just too many warts there. So bottom line, deconstruct her religion, get rid of the harshness. Thank God that it worked for her mother, but be like your father, you know, be willing to doubt and throw away the things that are not of use. And then why not become Samoan, reconstruct by becoming Samoan yourself? Yeah, because it does, it appears that her father, you know, he may have rejected her mother's harshness and sternness and all that kind of stuff, but he could see the good. He could peel that away. It, It sounds like that anyway. You know, it's interesting. She talks about how some of her experiences going to mass, it's nothing but old people. And she says, I need young. And and again, this is, you know, if she was blind, if she couldn't see whether they're old or young, she might have a whole different perspective. She might be able to hear 
the love and the, I mean, all the stuff that she thinks that young people bring to it. It goes back to the, the Samoan experience where she didn't know the language. She could see these joyous people and these wonderful, you know, the way they dressed and the music and all that stuff. But, you know, if she, if she was blind there, she might not have seen a lot of that either. It's interesting how not being able to speak the language, being blind, you have a whole different perspective on things. Right. Than you would otherwise. And and this irony, and I know I'm getting a little harsh on Kath, and I respect her, is that she can see how she needs to deconstruct the harsh religion. But yeah, she does. But she also needs to deconstruct the echo of it in her. And I, I don't want to appear, let people think, well, this is just a bunch of psychological goop. Have you ever noticed every major figure in the Bible has to deconstruct religion. Joseph has to decide, well, what do I do? Throw Mary to the dogs? Uh, Mary, nobody yeah, has throw, more of a harsh religion than St. Paul. Yeah, throw Mary to the dogs when uh, it's revealed that she's pregnant and he's had no relations with her and whatever. you know. Right. No, he happened. reconstructs into a different religion. Yep. Jesus is constantly trying to reconstruct religion into this force of compassion and love. Another way, really, of deconstruction to me also is purification. It's really purifying religion. It's purifying your understanding of God. Because along the way, you gather up a bunch of garbage, you know? I mean, that just happens. And you kind of have to throw it out. It's like your, whatever that uh, show was, you know, where the, you, you oh, know, you go in and. The Marie Kondo effect? Yeah. Well, Father Len, I. I I hope this has been helpful to Kath and and many of our other listeners as well. I don't know. Do you, do you have anything to add at this point? I think I said enough. Yeah. But God bless her. I I think she's on the right road. Well, what I love is her perseverance. She hasn't given up. She really, she wants to. Because she's from Butte. They don't yeah. give up. She's yeah. Butian. Yes, I got to remember. I need a little Butian in my life. So we welcome your comments and questions. Uh, it's easy to get those to us. You can just send us an email. It's questions at www.gshow.com. That's questions at www.gshow.com. And we, we hope you, uh, you know, if you're enjoying the Wrestling With God show, we hope you share your favorite episodes with your friends. If this is one that happened to resonate with you, and you know others that uh, it, it might be helpful to, please share it. And also subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help people discover us. And subscribing to the podcast, by the way, is free or following, which is a, way a lot of these uh, podcast distribution places have now. You follow us, and then you're notified every time we do a new episode, so you won't ever miss one. So we hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth, meaning, and purpose in our lives, and purifying our religion all the way. Thanks for listening. See you next time.